But let's pray real quick because I need it. <laughs> Heavenly Father, Lord, God, thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you that we can come before you. We have the privilege, Lord, to hear your word. We have the privilege, Father, to see how your word applies to our life. And, and Father, in, and we can see how in many ways you draw us closer to you through your word. And so, Lord, this morning as we as we delve into your word, I would pray that your Holy Spirit, Father, would be amongst us, that it would be it would teach us, Lord, and that it would guide the words that I would say, Lord, that anything that is said, Father, would be of you. And that's all they would hear is the words, Father, that you have for them to hear. And so, Father, I ask this in your son, Jesus name. Amen. So I'm going to be in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, if you'll remember last time I was up here, uh, taught on the first four commandments. And we taught about, taught on how those first four apply to our lives between us and God. And to get any of the rest of them right, we've got to start there. We've got to start with our relationship with God. Because the next six is our relationship between ourselves, between each other. And we will never get that correct if we haven't first got it correct with God. We might make it look like we got it correct. And people around us might think, eh, you know, he's doing pretty good. But you're not. And we're going to see that. So we're going to pick up in the, be the fifth commandment. And it is verse 12 of uh, chapter 20. It says, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land and that the Lord your, that the Lord your God is giving you. So not only is this a commandment, but remember, this is the first commandment, the only commandment that comes with a promise. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land that he is giving you. But then when you look at the word honor, Honor your parents. We're called to honor God, too. And when you look at the original language, there's a, a word that is used, and I know I'm going to blow its pronunciation, but it's like kabad, K-A-W-B-A-D. And that, is the, that word is the same word that's used when you are told to honor God. So in the same sense that you're called to honor God, you're supposed to honor your father and your mother. And in Proverbs 3.9, it says, honor the, Lord your, honor the Lord with your wealth and with, all the first, and with the first fruits of all your produce. So all your best is to go to God. And yet, using the same context, that same word, all your best, you're to honor your parents with. Now, I know I've probably blown... I, you know, I can think of some of the, the, the arguments and some of the, the things me and my parents got into when I was a kid. And I probably didn't do a very good job of that. I hope I've gotten better at, as an adult. But then there's the argument, too, that not everyone has parents that we would think would be honorable. And you might struggle with that. You say, well, you don't know my parents. You don't know what type of parents I had. But God didn't say, honor just the good ones. He did, in fact, God didn't say anything. 
He said, honor your father and your mother. And when we say, yeah, but, now we're adding to what God said. And one of my favorite quotes from Charles Spurgeon is, where scripture is silent, be ye silent. So if God didn't say it, well, we better not be saying it. So God said, honor your father and your mother. And when you dig into this and you look at it, you will realize you're called to honor your father and your mother with the same honor that you would honor God. So that sounds pretty important. But we see in Scripture that it wasn't always done that way. And if you look at Matthew 15, 1-9, Jesus is once again being, I guess you could say, uh, tested by the Pharisees. Or, you know, they're trying to trying to poke him. They say uh, in verse 1, Then the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he, Jesus, answered them. He says, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your traditions, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. So they built up this tradition of, well, maybe I'm supposed to give this to my parents, but if I tell everybody, well, I'm going to tie this to God or I'm going to give this to God, then I don't need to take care of my parents. I can. It's a way to get out of it. And it was a tradition that they had created. And in this tradition, what Jesus is saying, you're breaking the commandment. You have used this, a tradition of man, to get around the commandment. And this is what they would teach. So they were in direct violation of this commandment. And when we start going down that road, what we're starting to do is we're starting to elevate ourselves. We're placing ourselves above what God has called us to do. And when we do that, we're in a sense starting to put ourselves in place of God, making a God of ourselves. We're worshiping ourselves. And if you look at you can, there's a lot of literature out there today where self-worship has actually become almost a religion in itself. And in 1977, there was an author, Paul Vitz, and he wrote a book titled Psychology as a Religion, The Cult of Self-Worship. And he, in it, he deconstructs the selfist movements, and he tries to uphold the God-centered altruism, and he claims that all modern-day liberalism and leftism is essentially a selfish or selfist at its core. So you think about how liberal everything gets. And you think, well, why would, they, why would people be that way? Well, it's because they want to get what they want. They don't want to be told, this is not for you, this is bad for you, or this is wrong. So if I can twist this around 
in my mind, I can make it right. And then all I got to do is get you to believe it. Well, the problem with that is, is it's happening. It's happening all around us. We see it everywhere. Every facet of our lives today, we see that going on. And he is saying in his book that it comes back to selfism. Well, that's what's going on. It starts here. Are you honoring God or are you on, and are you honoring your parents? If you're not doing these, this is who you're trying to honor is yourself. And you've placed yourself above them. Because if you take God out of the equation and you take his commandments out of the equation, something's going to fill that hole. And nine out of ten times, it's going to, you're going to fill it with whatever makes you think you look good or feel good. And again, you're making it all about you or I'm making it all about me. And in the seventh commandment, which is chapter 13, I mean, sorry, verse 13, says, you shall not murder. Well, unfortunately, this in the King James Version, this says, thou shalt not kill. And there's been, so let's get rid of some misconceptions here real quick. There's been some unfortunate consequences of the language, of the transliteration of that. For instead of saying, thou shalt not murder, saying, thou shalt not kill. And you have people who have been involved in armed conflicts around the world. You've had, you know, people like police officers that have had to take a life that have really struggled with this. They're Christians. They're, they're, they struggle because, well, didn't, didn't God say, thou shalt not kill, and yet I've killed? Well, that's not what the gist of this was. The gist of this is murder. The one killing of someone. And that's not what happens when a police officer is executing his job or a person is involved in an armed conflict for their country. And unfortunately, because there's a lot of other things those people are going to have to deal with psychologically. We don't need to hang this on them. And God didn't hang it on them. To murder someone is to, as I said before, the wanton killing. So nine out of ten times it's because I want something or that person did something that I didn't like or I am a psychopath. Who knows? That's murder. That's what's killing. That's, that's what he's saying here. But then we get to the New Testament. And Jesus is going to turn this around a little bit. And if you look in Matthew 5, 21 through, 21, 21 through 22, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. That's pretty serious. So what Jesus is saying here, you think about this. You don't have to physically kill somebody to do grievous harm to them. You can do what's called character assassination. I can go around and I can spread lies about you. I can make something up about you. I can get others to go along with me. Well, I didn't kill you. But maybe I ruined your business. 
Maybe I made it so that now you can't get a job or, you know, whatever else has happened. And Jesus is saying, this is just as bad as you physically murdering them. I'm sure that was a shock to him at the time to hear that. And an interesting thing about this is, and I kind of got onto a little bit of a rabbit trail as I studied through this. Guess what? There's a pagan god for this. It's called Keres, K-E-R-E-S. It's the female spirits of violent or cruel death, including death in battle, by accident, murder, or ravaging disease. So if you're going down this road, and this is the kind of person you are, you have put another false god in your life. Just like we talked about not worshiping your, or not honoring your parents correctly as God has called you to do. You've placed yourself as a God. So every time we break a commandment, it's because we have placed a false God in place of God, which means we're breaking the first four. Thou shalt not have no other God before me. Thou shalt not have any even idols. So we're not getting the first four right, so we're messing up on the last six. So eight, next one is, you shall not commit adultery. I think as a, as a man, as a human, I can't think of another sin that has a more devastating effect on people around you when this happens. Because it's not just the two people that commit adultery. Most times, both are already married. So it's the spouses of these that commit adultery that are going to be affected. If they've got children, they're going to be affected. And when you marry someone, you didn't just marry your spouse. You married your spouse's family, <laughs> like it or not. You're now part of that family. And so when you commit a sin like this, there are so many people that are going to suffer and unfortunately, uh, I've seen this firsthand, how it affects people. It, it's, it, it ruins lives. It can be absolutely devastating. In Genesis 38, 39, I mean, we see a great example here of what adultery really is. They all recall the story of Joseph after he's sold into slavery and he goes, ends up in uh, Egypt. And Joseph is blessed. God blesses him all the step of the way. He winds up in Potiphar's house. And in chapter 39 of Genesis, starting in verse 7, it says, And after a time, his masters, Potiphar has made Joseph in charge of everything. And it says, and after a time, his master's wife has cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and he said to his master's wife, behold, because of my master has no, because my master has no concern about anything in this house and he has put everything that he has in my charge, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great witness, this wickedness and sin against God? 
So there's something else that's involved here when we commit adultery. It's not just the people we see around us that are affected here. We are sinning against God as well. So we're sinning against the person we commit adultery with. We're sinning against all the families, all the people that are around us when we do this. We're sinning against ourselves. And most importantly, we're sinning against God when we commit adultery. And when you think of the, of the act of betrayal that goes on in the act of committing adultery, that the, the destruction of trust that happens, I think there's probably only one other thing a person could do that would be a worst example of the destruction of trust. And that would be when you would harm your own child. I can't think of anything else that would be worse than adultery. That would be the only thing, harming a child. Because once that trust has been broke, it's going to be awful hard to ever get it back. Because you've sinned against yourself, you've sinned against everyone, and you've sinned against God. And, yeah, guess what? There's a pagan god for that one, too. Aphrodite. The goddess of all things dealing with lust and pleasure. And she was also the patron goddess of prostitutes. You getting the picture yet? Every time we break a commandment, we've placed a false god in our life. Next one. You shall not steal. That's a simple one. Because if you're stealing... You're probably breaking the 10th commandment as well. You know, because you saw something you wanted and you wanted it bad enough, you're willing to do something underhanded to get it. Leviticus 19.11 says, You shall not steal and you shall not deal falsely and you shall not lie to one another. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Have you ever thought about stealing as being the same as lying? Lying being the same as stealing? Because if you're stealing, odds are you lied to get there. If you got something, as they say, ill-gotten gains, meaning you stole that. I don't care if you told your boss you worked 10 hours and you only worked six. That's still ill-gotten. You stole that money that he's going to pay you and you got it by lying. So, see how this all works together? Oh, there's God for that too. His name is Mercury. The God of thieves and tricksters. See how that's going? Next one. You shall not wait. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Well, it's kind of putting me back up there with the last one. Because if I'm bearing false witness against my neighbor, I'm lying. And if I'm lying about my neighbor, why am I doing it? He's probably got something I want or he's done something I don't like, or I just don't like it. 
whatever. Why else would I lie about my neighbor? Or maybe I'm going to break the last one. Maybe he got, you know, I covet something he has. See how that all, it all works together. You know, you can't just say, well, I've kept them all, but I only broke one. Remember, uh, Scripture says if you broke one, you broke them all. I just don't remember the address exactly where he says that. So that they all, every one of these tie together. But it all, remember, it all starts at the first four. You've got to get them right with God. Because if you don't, you're going to fight your way all the way through the rest of these. Next one. You shall not cover your neighbor's house, and you shall not cover your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that your neighbor has. Why? Well, if you cover it in your neighbor's wife, you're probably going to go down a road of adultery. And we've already seen where that goes. If you're coveting anything else he has, you're probably getting ready to steal it. You're probably going to lie, come up with a way to get it. So you're breaking those. See, it all flows together. Every bit of this runs together. And yeah, there, there was a God for that one too. And that was Mammon, the demon of wealth and greed. Because why else would you covet somebody else's what they have? It's because of greed. You want it. You can't have it, but you want it. So again, you're placing these false idols. And when we talked about the first four, you know, we talked about the consequences of having, for, having false idols and false gods in your life. Well, these are the consequences. Because you blew the first four, the consequences are you're going to blow the next six. So again, start up at the top. As they say, start at the top of the page and read down. So think about our lives. How many of us in this room right now can say you never lied? How many can say you never stole something? I can tell you a story about being a kid and stealing something. I got that out of my system real quick. <laughs> but I did. Thanks to an older guy there in town. We lived in a little bitty town. Uh, it was a lesson I will take with me till I'm dead and I will remember it forever because he put the fear in me. <laughs> but we've all done something. How many men, this is a trap men, I think men and women fall in this trap, but I think that Satan knows that a man, you know, uh, sex is something that it, many men get trapped by. And how many can say they have done more than just looked at a woman and said, she's pretty, but they went back for a next look and maybe back for another look. You know, to see something is not coveting. To see something is not committing adultery. But it's when we go back to it and we take that lingering look. Now we are coveting. We're, we're lusting. It, it, it happens to all of us. At times. And if we break these lower commandments, we're breaking the upper commandments. These are, these are ten simple rules that God gave us to live by, and we can't keep one of them. So what do we do? Because that means, if I can't keep these, 
There is no way that I am ever going to be allowed to stand in the presence of God. But what do I do? Well, God knew. God knew that there was no way Joe Moore was ever going to get this right on his own. There is no way I can get it right on my own this side of heaven. If you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. I'm going to read a start off in verse 11, a little piece of scripture here. And it says, But when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from the dead, from dead works to serving the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since death has occurred, that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. That first covenant, Ten Commandments. For for where a will is for where a will is involved, the death of the one who is who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats and water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified but with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with those rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered into the holy places, made with hands which are copies of the true things, but into heaven, I'm sorry, for Christ has entered in, not into holy places made with hands which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, not to appear in the presence of God, on, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was, it, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting him. And that's what we do. That's the answer right there. 
It's what Christ did, what Christ did on the cross. That is how we, that is our answer to the fact that we can never live up to the Ten Commandments. Ten simple things to live by, and we can't live up to it. We can't live by it. God knew that. And He sent His Son, Jesus, to be the one and only perfect blood sacrifice for our sin. Scripture says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not a one of us that has not broke these commandments. All have sinned. It didn't say everybody but me or everybody but you. It says all have sinned. All fall short. So we needed a Redeemer. We needed some, a Savior. We needed somebody, something to save us from our own selves. And God knew this. And so He sent His Son, Jesus, to be our propitiation for our sin, to cover us with His blood. And so on the day that we, go to, that we stand before God, if you are God's child, it won't be your sin that God sees. It'll be the blood of His Son that He sees. His Son has covered that sin. That's why this is. Now, does that mean you don't have to try to keep these? Absolutely not. <laughs> if you keep going as hard as you can. God sending His Son to be our Savior was not a, not a, a sign for us to start living however we want to live. Paul talks about that when he says, you know, the things that I do, I, that I know I should do, I don't do. And the things I know I don't, shouldn't do, I do. What do I do? Oh, wretched man that I am, what do I do? But for the sake of, you know, for, the, for God, I go forward. And it is God that gets us through this. It is the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we, that song, that last song that we were singing, or not the last one, I need thee every hour. I will break every one of these daily and hourly if I don't, if I'm not looking to God, if I am not looking to Christ, if I, if I get away from my morning habit of getting into the Word, if I get away from my evening habit, if I get away from my afternoon habit, I find myself, I am, I am easily led, or not led, shoot, I'll go there on my own. Now, you don't have to leave me. I'm pretty good at getting in trouble. You know, and without Jesus, I'm a mess. I can't do this. And so having that, having that, that knowledge, having that trust, trust in Jesus, that is what is going to get us through not being able to hold these commandments properly. And if you struggle with this, if you struggle with Things in your past, things that you've done today. Again, I go back to the trust in Jesus part. Trust in Jesus. Trust in what He has done because He did it for everyone that is called by God. Hang on to what Jesus did and turn it over to Him. That's how we get through it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You and I praise You, Father that I did not have to do this on my own. I thank you, Father, that no one here has to do it on their own, that you did it. Your son, Jesus, Father, did it. 
And, we, and Jesus did it for you. He did it to bring us to you, Lord, to save your creation, those that you would call Father. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for this. Lord, I ask that you would go with everyone today as we leave this building and go about our lives, that you would bless everyone that is in this room, Lord, that you would keep them safe throughout the week. And next Sunday, Lord, you'd bring them back healthy. So, Father, we leave this in your hands, Father, in your son Jesus' name. Amen.